This episode of Pet Resource Radio is brought to you by Nicholson Capital Management, where they've got just one mission, to help their clients evaluate and reach their financial goals. Their active wealth management services and consulting services will make your journey easier to navigate and place your goals within reach. Just visit NicholsonCap.com. Nicholson Capital Management, your journey to reach your financial goals starts here. Our outreach efforts are also supported by La Mega KC, Kansas City's Spanish radio station, and Hot 103 Jams, KPRS, Kansas City's number one station for hip-hop and R&B. We talk about keeping those teethies clean with our friend Dr. Steph on this episode of Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Scott Cotter. Welcome to the program, friends. We're coming to you from the room we call the Fishbowl here at Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. Yes, indeed. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services for folks who are in need. And coming up on the 19th, we've got one of those supportive services. It's a drive through clinic. June 19th from 9 a.m. to noon at Kansas City University. That's 1615 Independence Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we are going to have a drive through clinic, no appointment necessary, dog, full set of vaccinations for $35, a cat, full set of vaccinations, just $25, puppies and kittens, $10 piece, individual services, we can do single vaccinations for just $15, and we can do a KCMO city license for $12. Hey, what about lepto? Oh, yeah, leptospirosis. So we just rolled that out, and uh, we're going to be doing that. That'll just be $10 through this month. And that's a two-shot series. You get your initial one and then have to come back a couple weeks later. Yep, we'll get you taken the, care of. For the second one. Um, and it's recommended for animals, especially in the Kansas City area. We have a lot of water here, a lot of rainfall, and uh, that helps lepto spread. And uh, it can be ugly for pets and also be passed and on to— for humans, yep. Yeah, right on. Exactly. Hey, how about we go do some pet news? I think we should. First up, we talked last episode about how the boom of pandemic pet adoptions hasn't necessarily meant an uptick in returns of pets this year. But one thing it has meant is an increase in demand for veterinary services, which in turn has meant vets not being able to take new patients or having backlogs of several months. It's definitely left a lot of folks in the industry burned out but the increased demand looks like it might be a boon for anyone looking to join the fun. A recent Associated Press report looked at the effect of the pandemic on the veterinary industry and pointed to an increase in adoptions as a factor in the increased demand for vet services, as well as people simply spending more time with their pets so they're better able to recognize problems as they occurred. Here at PRCKC, we're on track to see 35,000 pets this year, which is an increase of 10,000 over our most ever, which happened in 2019. That means the demand is clearly there. We've had to work extra hard here to keep our staff from being burned out. This is a common refrain from folks in the industry, as the increased demand is estimated to create 16% growth by 2029. That's a lot of growth. That is a lot of growth. And... Um, yeah, we're busy every day here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nonstop. And uh, 
you know, we're here on the admin side, so we don't see as much of the action unless we're out there taking photos or they need help and they need us to jump in. Um, but it is definitely a common refrain that people have been burned out in the industry. Um, so it's good that, you know, things are going to continue growing and get more people in the industry, hopefully spread some of that work around. Next up, a study of 375 eight-week-old puppies bred to be service dogs seems to indicate that some pups may be born with an innate understanding of human communication. The lead study author, Emily Bray, ran experiments with her colleagues that consisted of a puppy at one end of a four-foot by six-foot mat and two upside-down cups, one with a treat underneath it, at the other end. The researcher would call out to the puppy, point to the cup with a treat underneath it, and watch what happened. And what happened was that some of the puppies marched right up to the cup, knocked it over, and ate the treat. The second test involved directing them to a yellow cube that was put next to the cup that contained the treat, and many of the pups succeeded at that as well. And because these pups were all bred to be service dogs, the study was able to look at genetic information and determine that, yes, indeed, this ability to take human direction without training does seem to be genetic in nature. You know, my dogs have this skill. Oh, do they? Oh, sure. It's not actually communication. They just know when I put on a certain pair of shoes Mm -hmm. that it's time to walk and they lose their minds. Yeah, it may be a little bit different. (laughs) Sure. Just a tiny bit. Um, pretty fascinating stuff, though, to be honest with you, to see that there's some sort of uh, our long storied history with dogs has led us to a point where there may be innate communication understanding. I wonder what will happen in another million years. Uh, we will evolve into one species. Minotaurs. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about we go talk to Dr. Steph? Let's do. one of those things that's incredibly important but isn't talked about nearly enough when we talk about basic pet health. So we've got our own Dr. Stephanie Albrecht on the show today to talk to us about it. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Steph. Thank you. So really, pets get dental disease. Who knew? Yes. And actually, I was looking up um, some of the stats on dental disease in pets, and they actually say that two-thirds of dogs over the age of three have some degree of dental disease. So it is definitely common. Um, and actually, we see it more commonly with our brachiocephalic, so our smush-faced dogs or our little dogs. The little dogs seem to have enzymes that cause them to um, actually build more tartar. And the brachiocephalics also have their teeth kind of turned because their face isn't as straight as it normally is. Right. So they'll actually have a few more issues with their um, teeth and their formation. That's very interesting. Well, why, why do they get dental disease? I assume this is similar to humans. Yes. So it's similar but different. And I know that's kind of complicated, but um, how we um, get a dental disease. So we actually get what's called cavities or the tooth decay. Um, and that's often because of what we eat or things with genetics, things like that. But the difference with our pets are that they also can have some They seem like cavities, but they're actually a type of infection or inflammation. So a little bit different as to how those things form. And that dental disease um, can start as soon as they are six months to a year. And the most common things we'll see is those really young ones that their baby teeth actually won't fall out like they should. And so that can cause their mouth to have some crowding and having some issues there. Gotcha. What are some uh, easy to recognize signs of dental disease in pets? 
I would say the easiest one is usually that owners will tell me is that their breath stinks. Mm. Um, And so that um, tartar, so what that tartar truly is, is bacteria that's normally in their mouth, just like it's in our mouth, um, but it starts to cause um, what's called plaque. So that's that first little layer. Then the next layer is a biofilm. So it just kind of makes it a little bit stronger. And then that mineralizes becoming the tartar that we see. So that's the actual brown or gray that you'll see on the teeth. And that will start to stink. So we'll see the tartar and then we'll also smell that breath. Um, And then when it gets a little bit more severe, we'll actually see that they change their eating habits. So you'll see those dogs that maybe only chew on one side of their mouth or they're dropping a lot of food or kitties that take a long time to eat um, and maybe need softened food. So those would all be signs that we'd look for. That makes sense. I had a cat named Mario, who was a, he, well, we were at a point where we didn't really have money to get anything done for him. Um, and that was one of those things where, yeah, his breath was, was awful and he would kind of drool a little bit sometimes, stuff like that. And it's, it's really just the worst. Um, yes. And the hard part too, is it, you might not see it on the front teeth. It's more common that it's on the back teeth. So those back teeth are the ones that are doing the main work and they're grinding the food. And there's actually a little gland that their saliva comes down that's right there. So that obviously means those um, enzymes and those things that help break down their food dumps right onto that tooth. So that's why we can have a little bit more tartar, a little bit more issue. Makes sense. So what kind of problems does periodontal disease cause for your pets beyond just their mouth? So it actually can, depending the severity of it, they're breathing in, they're also um, swallowing some of that bacteria. And so that can actually cause them to sometimes have an upset stomach. Um, We'll sometimes see elevated liver values. That's kind of on the fence in the vet um, world as to whether or not those are directly linked. But I've commonly seen when we have really bad teeth that our liver will be unhappy because it's our filtering um, organ. And so it's having to filter some of that extra stuff. Um, And it's also we'll see some weakness as far as with the jaw itself because those teeth are upset and those gums are upset. So we can actually have some tenderness there. So a few different areas that can be upset. And how often should your pet's teeth be checked by the vet? So the gold standard and um, what we'll often say is a year, every year. Um, And that should be kind of with their general wellness exam. Um, The veterinarian will go through and check. The big times that I think it maybe is a little bit more precedent or maybe more often is when they are those little puppies and kittens to make sure that those baby teeth do come out. So about six months of age, those baby teeth should be out. And if they're not, then we can talk about how that could be part of their spay or neuter um, so that they can have one anesthetic um, experience to do both. But um, also we'll see it in our senior pets that um, as they age, um, they may not um, be doing as many of the preventative things like wanting to chew on certain things or certain diets. So um, they might need to be checked more than every year. But that would be a good conversation to have with your veterinarian. Yeah, for sure. What does the process of cleaning a pet's teeth look like? It depends on the pet, to be honest. Um, And each pet, it kind of got to mold to what works best for them. If the mouth is already upset, so if the gums are already red, we already have a lot of tartar, 
honestly, the best option for those cases is to start fresh by getting a good dental cleaning and then starting to do your brushing protocol and things of that nature. Because if that stuff's already on there and the teeth are really tender and you try to work through brushing those teeth, you might actually cause it to be kind of a negative thing for your pet and for you because it's already tender and um, uncomfortable. Yeah, makes sense. And otherwise, um, what we often recommend is if you can do daily brushing of the teeth, um, just like us, um, it helps to get them into a routine and get it into something that's comfortable for them. And there's a lot of different flavored toothpastes and things like that that can help promote um, and make that something that you can do. Um, There's finger teeth brushes, there's little baby brushes, all that kind of stuff. And um, if those are not options, then I've had people that look at dietary options. And those diets um, are usually a little bit bigger kibble and they have a process on them that helps with some of the breakdown of the enzymes that are in the mouth. Mm. So those can be helpful. Um, There's also spray products and there's oral rinses and all kinds of things. So it kind of just, like I said, tailored to what your pet will be comfortable with and what you can get accomplished safely and comfortably with your pet because I don't want it to be a not fun of experience. Right. You want to minimize any of those negatives as much as possible. Exactly. Um, So when pets get their mouths worked on at the vet, um, why do they need to be anesthetized? Well, I would say the biggest thing is I I don't know how you feel about it, Dave, but Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy being in the dental chair. And so um, I have to be told, you know, that this is you're sitting still, you're doing it for a few minutes. And it's really hard for us to explain that to our pets. Sure. Um, and anytime we're messing in that mouth, like I said, it might already be sensitive and we really need to clean up above that gum line. So um, having a pet be awake, it might be that we end up causing more discomfort than what's actually needed because we're trying to work in that area and we end up um, poking or prodding in an area that uh, makes the pet uncomfortable. So we don't want to induce pain. So this is definitely a way to keep them comfortable and allow us to get the best cleaning done mm-hmm. um, and to make sure that it gets thoroughly done so that we don't have to come back and repeat. So highly, highly recommend anesthesia um, for any of those kind of um, processes because that makes it easier on the pet and just makes the process faster and easier. Yeah, I know I've seen a few places that advertise anesthesia free cleanings and I don't I don't know necessarily how that would even work. Right. And I actually have had some people that do it, but the downside to it, so like you said, it's they're not as great. So I would say that you're not getting as good of a clean. You're asking a lot of your pet and some pets that can make it very negative for them to come into that place and to work with those people because they're very uncomfortable or painful. Right. Um, and if you think about it, so whenever we talk about scaling or, um, cleaning that tartar off, we're cleaning it off, but we're not able to polish it really well when we're doing those non-anesthetic events. So, um, then those little tiny divots of where that tartar was don't get filled back in with something that's going to help to prevent it from coming back, if that makes sense. So they make all these wonderful products that can help with those. So if we're doing it, it's kind of halfway doing it. And um, unfortunately, those things are expensive enough that it's worth just saving up and doing it in an appropriate anesthetic event. Right, right. Yeah, that makes the most sense for sure. So what can pet owners do at home to help with their pet's dental health? 
So we talk about a couple processes. So they call it either mechanical, chemical, or both as far as ways to help with the teeth. Mechanical is when you're truly physically doing something. So that's like brushing the teeth or chews or diets, something that's actively um, rubbing against the teeth to help get some of that tartar and plaque and things like that off. So those can be some options. Um, the chemical process, that's more talking about rinses or water additives or even the toothpaste itself. Um, so those are different things that you can do. Um, I highly recommend um, clients that if they're looking at what products work best, what chews work best, to check out the VOHC site. So they are the actual veterinary um, dental board. And so they actually go through treats and they go through um, different things, um, diets, all those kind of things, and put a label on it so that you can know, A, what is it helping with? Does it get rid of tartar? Does it get rid of plaque? Um, is it recommended for dogs? Is it recommended for cats? And it gives you a whole long list of different things. Um, but you can also see them when you go in the store too. If you see that little logo of the VOHC, and that tells you that that has been tested and known to truly work for their teeth. So um, those can give you things that you can start doing um, to be able to help out. Perfect. Yeah, that that's great. And we'll make sure to add that to the show notes so that people have an easy link to it. Sounds good. Um, any tips on getting a pet to let you brush their teeth? I usually, like I said, kind of start young because the more they get used to having their mouth touched, um, that will be a more comfortable endeavor. (laughs) And um, I usually get some kind of toothpaste that they really like. Um, My own dog, he doesn't love getting his teeth done, but he loves the, we have a poultry um, toothpaste and that is his favorite because chicken is his God. So, (laughs) Um, so yes. So I'll put a little bit on my finger to kind of get him started and reminding him what we're doing. And then I'll put a little bit on the toothbrush and just kind of work a little bit slow. The first time you're doing it, try to get a few teeth, make sure they're comfortable, make it very positive that when they're sitting there and they're doing it, um, that they get all that positive interaction with you, that you're saying, oh, good boy or good Mm -hmm, girl, mm -hmm. all those kind of things um, to reinforce that it's a good experience and then working your way around. And then, like I said, if it becomes a routine, something that they know are happening every day, if possible, then then, um, it becomes something that they tend to enjoy because they know they're getting their little extra treat. Right. That makes sense. That's perfect. Dr. Steph. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, We love having you on the program, and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to to come and talk to us. Oh, no worries. And I fully understand the importance of teeth because my little wiener dog has had a lot of fun things with him, being the little guy that he is. So I always want owners to feel comfortable. And like I said, have these conversations with your veterinarian because um, we want our friends to also have good teeth, good mouth so that they can continue to grow and do what they need to, um, to be happy, healthy pets. Exactly. We want them to live long, happy, healthy lives. Exactly. So for our last segment today, we wanted to talk about one of the amazing things about cats, their ability to survive long falls. We were thinking about it after seeing this amazing video of a cat that survived a jump from the fifth floor of a burning apartment building in Chicago. It tests the ledge, jumps, and with a simple bounce, it's off again with no injury. In fact, the cat came back not very long after trying to get back in the building. I mean, it is a cat after all. So how does this work? How is it the cats can fall so far and still end up okay? Is it magic or wizardry? Superpowers? Nope, none of that stuff. There are a few different things to play, but none of them go beyond the realm of the real. 
We're looking at physics, evolutionary biology, and a cat's innate physiology. One thing is their surface area. They have a larger surface area in proportion to their weight compared to other animals, which helps win resistance and slows their fall. They reach terminal velocity, the speed at which velocity stops increasing, at a slower speed than other bigger animals like, you know, us. From an evolutionary biology standpoint, cats are actually built to live in trees. Dr. Jake Soka, a biomechanist, says that being able to survive falls is critical for animals who live in trees, and that, quote, the domestic cat still contains whatever suite of adaptations they have that enable cats to be good up in trees. That includes the aerial riding reflex, which is the internal sense that allows cats to know which way is up and then right themselves so that they land on their feet. Um, if you've ever held a cat that's tried to wiggle out of your arms, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. They do a little hip wiggle um, that kind of circles them around so that their feet are facing downward. That's what they do in the air, too, and it, it circles them around. So what about their legs themselves? They've got long, strong legs with excellent muscles that help them jump incredibly high, but that also act as shock absorbers when they land from large heights. Their legs are angled under the body and not extended straight downward like a human's, which also helps spread out some of the initial impact from a big landing. Combined, this makes them masters of the big fall. In the end, cats aren't magic, don't have superpowers or anything like that, as cool as that might be. They're just made for this stuff. Now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks to Dr. Stephanie Albrecht for being on the show today and talking to us about dental health. As for us, we're a nonprofit that's keeping pets and people together through supportive services for folks in need, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to rate us and leave us a review, which helps other pet people find us. And for the latest updates on the podcast and for informative, interesting links to pet-related topics, follow us on social media. We're at PRR Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the writer Anne Lamott said, my idea of absolute happiness is to be in bed on a rainy day with my blankie, my cat, and my dog. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. Written by David Shapiro, produced and hosted by Scott Cotter and David Shapiro. Recorded, edited, and mixed by David Shapiro. Music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Musical Industries. 